0: Heavenly Father, I thank you just for a great time of worship. Lord, I pray as we wrap up our series called Stand in the Book of Daniel, Lord, would you speak clearly as we talk about what it means to stand firm in the fire. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that wishes to dwell with us constantly, never wanting to leave us nor forsake us. And for that, we simply say thank you. In your mighty name, everyone said, amen, amen. Go ahead and pull out your worship guys. It looks something like this. That helps you kind of keep track with where we're going in your Rock Church pen and uh, we'll go ahead and get rolling this morning. Uh, Last week, we didn't have service. If you guys rolled up last week and you're like, where is everyone? Uh, Don't worry. Rapture didn't happen. If so, we would all be in bad news, wouldn't it? (laughs) Even your pastor. It wouldn't be good. Uh, But no, uh, what we were doing, just to let you know, uh, we were out in the community uh, being the church. Uh, I believe, it's my heart that not only do we come here and have church. Having church is awesome, and it's a great deal. Uh, But more importantly, I believe the best way to shape and change the culture we live in, is to go out and be the church. Amen, church? Amen, Amen, church? And so that's what we did. We had all these various projects lined up, and we got a cool video that we're going to show you towards the end of service of what exactly that looked like. And so we pressed pause on our series called Stand, but over the past few weeks to get you caught up, uh, we've been in the book of Daniel, going over Daniel's life and really looking at a, a few key seasons where Daniel had to take a stand. I believe without a doubt that when you step in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's going to be times in your life that you are going to be asked to stand, to stand out for Christ, to stand up for what is right, to stand firm, and to stand in the midst of the fire. And no matter where you are at in your walk in your Christian life, uh, that's going to happen. And in fact, it says, "Don't no, don't be caught off guard because you're going to be in those tribulations. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. But it's what you do in the midst." of those issues. And so week one, we talked about standing out. We discussed if we stand up for the right things in the right time in the right way, uh, we can change the course of history. Uh, Week two, we talked about standing up for Christ and and what is right according to his word. And we looked at this action called predetermined. Predetermined is a very fancy word that simply means this, make a choice before it happens. Right? You guys were like, I knew that. Well, good, that's awesome. But a lot of times in our walk with Christ, we kind of just go with the flow that, hey, we'll make that choice when that problem arises where I believe we are better in our walk in Christ if we make that choice ahead of time to predetermine what we're gonna do, how we're gonna stand up, how we're gonna be able to stand up for what is right. And so uh, week three, we talked about standing strong as a Christ follower in the world that we live in, that there's gonna be times where God is going to use you in great ways and it's gonna seem like to the world, or to some other jealous people that God is raising you up and people are going to be out to tear you down. It's just, it's just the natural way of human behavior. We, if we see someone successful, we kind of start battering in them and bashing them. And why they can't do this? We see it all the time in politics and even our local community. And it's just, it's heartbreaking when God wants to use somebody. And so I say that because there's going to be a time where God is going to use you. He's going to use you. He's going to elevate you and use you for his purpose, but you have to be ready for other people to tear you down because you don't want to say, oh, you know what, people are against me. Maybe I just need to step aside. Don't step aside. Stand firm on what God has called you to do, which all of this leads up to today's message talking about standing firm in the fire, and to get this started, I need just a little bit audience of participation, uh, I'm not going to ask you to get up here and talk or anything like that, but it's just simply raising your hand, so if everyone can raise your hand right now, everyone across the room, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. come on now, I know I, you know I'm up here and I can see you, right, all right, so raise, keep, keep them raised, keep them raised, keep them raised, good, this means everyone here can raise their hand so you can participate, now put them down, all right. So, I want to ask you this question. All of you here today, if this last week has just been a horrible week for you, raise your hand. Be honest. Okay, all right, put your hands down. What about last month? Like, it was just a rotten month. Raise your hand. It was just, ugh, like there could be better months, right? Okay, awesome. All right, what about kind of this, the season? Like, this season was just horrible. Like, uh, like I I could have had a better season, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah? Awesome, cool. Church is dismissed. I'm glad you guys are all encouraged. Uh, Feel free. No, no, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you guys there. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Uh, One thing I learned in this life is that life is full of hard times. It's going to happen. It's just full of hard times. This week was full of hard times, and the reality is that a lot of us are going to be in three places. The pastor said it this way. He says, we're either heading into a hard time or we're in a hard time or we're getting out of a hard time. But no matter who you are this morning, you're going to be in one of those three places. And if you're going into a hard time, this message is for you. If you're in a hard time, this message is especially for you. If you're coming out of a hard time, put this message in your back pocket because it will be relevant as you go back into a hard time. No matter who you are, hard times are going to come. And maybe there are a few of us here like, man, I thought this whole Jesus thing would be a lot easier. That's why I got in a relationship with him, because it's just supposed to be, you know, all unicorns and butterflies and rainbows when I'm with Jesus. Um, I don't know what thought process that is, but if you read scripture from cover to cover, you will see that God's people have had hard times, and it's not going to stop until the day he comes back and takes us home, amen? And so that is what we're going to be talking about today. But if you read the Bible before, Jesus does, he says that only in Jesus that you will have peace, meaning that if you have a relationship with him, while it seems like a bad day keeps coming, you can still have peace. But the key is, is you have to have Jesus. You have to have Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our firm foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone of our relationship with him. And without that, we will fall. If you don't believe that, look at the world around us. If people who don't have Jesus in their life, it just seems like, oh, they're running to the, the next quick fix to get things going, the next thing to help them to forget the world and all its problems, but let me tell you, when you have Jesus in your life, I'm not saying it's going to be great and smooth writing and there's not be any potholes in the world, but what I am saying is that you will have something that no one else has, and that's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. So before we get into it, because this is going to be kind of a heavy sermon today, I want to share a key principle that I believe in really quick. I remember every time I had a bad day, I remember just kind of complaining and with my parents. My parents were here last night, and it kind of just brought it back to, uh, in memory. But every time I complained, and said, oh, man, this is just the worst day. I'm the, I'm, I, I'm the worst person in the whole world. There's no one in this world experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. Ever here in those pity parties before? I've been in them multiple times. Ask my wife. I still get into them. And so, but I keep this principle that my mom taught me. She says, you know what? Even though you're having what seems like the worst day in your life, there's always someone else in the world that's getting even worse. Even worse. And so, just some funny pictures up there. I want to show you some people that have some really bad days. Parents, you might appreciate this first one. Their first one called, uh, babe, I thought you put the peanut butter away. Um... (laughs) You know, if you have kids, that is a bad day. And thank God I see the jar of peanut butter right there because, oh, that could be so much worse. You, parents, you know what I'm talking about. I was going to show one of those pictures, uh, but a little bit too graphic, so I thought we'll stick with the peanut butter one. But that's, that's a bad day. I feel sorry for those parents. Oh, man. Uh, parents, future parents, lock your peanut butter up. All right. Uh, this next one I call, uh, I thought you were supposed to strap them down. Um, yeah yeah that's a, that's a really bad day that is, that's not good and if you guys were ever in a funeral procession usually the family rides right behind that car so if you can kind of imagine that <laughs> as a pastor I, I'd probably start laughing it's just what else could go wrong right And so, uh, but that's a really bad day um, thankfully I work with all our funeral homes here and we double check we make sure the straps are locked um, but oh my goodness that is a, that's a bad day that's not good uh, number three is, uh, sir, you're definitely getting more than an oil change. Um, yeah, the I had two guys help me fix my van the other day. This would probably be me if I operated the lift um, that's not a good day that's not a good day. Um, number four, this is one is uh, uh I thought I got it um, that's not a that's uh that's professional soccer, people. This isn't a little peewee soccer you see on, you know, Saturdays with the orange slices. You know, this is, those balls are just going, like, 100 miles an hour to your face, and that I think that's the aftershock of it, bouncing off his face. Uh, anyway, that is a horrible, horrible day. And number five, this one I call, I uh, should have listened to my parents and went to college. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Now, I know bull riders, they go, and they get trained and all this stuff, but when you get flung in the air, uh, that's not fun for anyone. Um, that's just not good. That's a, not, that's a very, very bad day. And I want to share these because I know these are pretty funny, um, but I do know that there are some here this morning that you feel like you're just having a horrible day and you're going through a really rough time. And it seems like hell's fires are just all against you and you're not going to win. You can't see the light of day and you can't feel Jesus' presence. And fires, really, they're all different for all of us. For some of you, uh, the fire that you're in is maybe is a dangerously low bank account. You don't know where you're going to get your groceries or how to pay your bills. For some of you, uh, the fire is you lost a family member or a friend hurt you in a very deep way. Uh, For some of you, it's a health-related fire, and you're questioning God, why would he let this happen to you? For some of you, it's a fire of constantly battling depression and anxiety and anger We are all in our own fires and I think it would be very tunnel focused to say I'm in my fire and no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing because the fact of the world is, the fact of the matter is that the whole world is in a fire. People are having very bad, no good, rotten days. And it's really hard to be a Christian in those times. But no matter what you're dealing with and the fire that you find yourself in, this is the good thing. God is always with you, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But another thing you need to know is the real question in this life is not uh, when are we going to have trouble. The real question is, uh, not if we're going to have trouble, but the real question is when are we going to have the trouble? When is it going to come into my life? But the question I want to give you guys this morning is this, what do you do when you are in the fire? What do you do when you are in the fire? Like, what do you do when you struggle? What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in the middle of the fight? What do you do when it seems like you're just losing the battle in this life, and life just sucks, and it feels like nothing is going right? What do you do? There's a verse I want to show you, uh, 1 Peter 1.7, and it some encouragement whenever I go through some fires in my life, and it's not really a scripture how to get out of the trials and fires in this life, but it tells us what these trials do. This is what it says. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that's kind of a, a SV out of Irene, but I want to share another translation with you that I like better. It's out of the New Living Translation. It says this, These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what's he saying? These trials, they're good for you. That's not very encouraging. Didn't get a lot of amens right there. (laughs) <laughs> but these trials they're, they're actually good for you it's a learning process in fact that's why god says you know what it's almost like it purifies you like fire purifies gold have, have you guys ever saw a uh, gold getting purified have you guys ever seen that before they just go through the fire and it brings it to its boiling point and it separates gold from all of the trash metals but it only happens in fire can't do it any other way has to be through fire and that's what Jesus is saying this morning is, is, is no matter where you find yourself in the trials, the fires, or the bad circumstances, or the horrible, just no good, rotten days in your life, don't just dismiss it, but look at it as it's a purification process that Jesus wants to put you through. He wants to see you get better, but the only way to do that is through the fire. And really it builds your faith. That's why the this kind of first point today is a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. You see, when you go through the trials and the fires, your faith is being, re- t- is being tested. It's just, it's just getting hammered down. It's almost like kind of forging steel. And the only way that steel gets stronger, if you take a big hammer while it's hot from the fire and keep pounding on the metal and pounding on it, and it strengthens it. It's the same way it works with your faith. A faith that is tested by trials and fires of this life is a faith that God can trust because your faith has been through the purification process that only fire can bring. We've been walking with Daniel with the past few weeks and we've been watching how he stands for what is right and what is godly. And I think we can confidently say uh, Daniel has been through some fires in his life. A lot of them that the end result could have risked his life. And the story that we're going to pick up today is in Daniel chapter 3. So you go ahead and open your Bibles there or your Bible app. It's going to be on the screens in front of me or it's in your worship guide notes. But in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel is about 14 years old. So he's a young teenager. And this evil King Nebuchadnezzar is in power. King Nebuchadnezzar at this time is like the world's uh, most powerful ruler. He was very uh, comparable to like Saddam Hussein or Hitler. Just very just ruthless and just a horrible guy. And shortly after conquering Judah, what he would do is he'd go out and kidnap the best and the brightest. And among these young people he kidnapped was three people, including Daniel. And also during this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was so full of himself that in this story, we read that he built a 90-foot statue, golden statue of himself. Um, how many of you guys know you have to be filled with pride if you're going to build a massive gold statue of yourself, Right? Yeah, horrible, horrible. it's just a bad deal. And so he built this massive statue, and upon completing this massive statue, he decided to have the dedication service with all the government leaders and advisors and anyone that served King Nebuchadnezzar to come to this dedication service. And as soon as everyone gathered, he made this decree. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 3. Four through 6. Starting at verse 4, it says this, And the herald proclaimed aloud, When you commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, Uh, anyone here play the lyre or the trigon? Worship team's open. Okay. Just wondering. Uh, If you hear the bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning furnace. So let's kind of of bring all those words down to this. Um, When you hear the band start playing, fall on your face and start worshiping. Worship the idol. If you don't worship the idol, you're going to die, right? Very simple. It it doesn't take too much to comprehend that. But King Nebuchadnezzar's band began to play, and as you expected, everyone immediately fell down and began worshiping this idol. Everyone except for a few boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and a Bendigo. everyone fell down except for three young teenage boys first of all let me say it this way young people in the room don't count yourself out for god not to use you god will use any willing vessel including you young people even at the young age of 14 years old to shape the course of a nation And what fall is would be what I believe would be a very bad day for these young boys. But remember this, a faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted. This morning, I want to share with you guys three qualities of faith. It's nothing really uh, extreme, but it's just simple three qualities of faith that I've seen in the scripture. And there's one line of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. Have you guys seen The Princess Bride? It's like one of my favorite movies. I love it. Uh, but it's a line when one of the characters kept saying, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. And he kept saying it over and over and over and over and over. And finally, one of his companions in the movie says, do you know what? I don't think that word means what you think it means. Because he's getting so fed up. He's just, he keeps saying it and saying. finally, the friend's like, do you know what? I don't think you know what that word really means. And for us, I think we use this phrase, I'm standing in faith. I'm standing in faith. We use it so much to the point where at times I'm wondering if God is saying, I don't think that word means what you think it means. I'm standing in faith. Are you? Oh, I'm just standing in faith over here. Are are you sure? Because I think sometimes we just use that to make it sound like we're Christian or we're using Christianese language. But really, I wonder if God is saying, I don't think that means what you think it means. And so here's my first point of today, and I'm going to explain that because I don't want you guys to leave with kind of like, oh man, I'm not really standing in faith. Let me explain. Uh, Point number one is this. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following men. Remember where we left off with the three boys. Everyone is bowing at this dedication, uh, at the statue, except for three teenage boys, about 13 to 15 years old. But these boys are still standing. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he sees this. Everyone is bowing. He's just filling himself with pride. He says, oh, look at me and all my glory and splendor. Uh, what are those way out there? I think there's a couple boys out there standing. Bring them to me. Let's get this handled really quick. And so he goes out and and brings these boys in, and when he has them in front of him, he asks them to explain themselves, and I love what they say, because it's a very typical teenager response. Parents, you'll know what I'm talking about. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to answer you. We don't have to talk to you. Explain to yourself, I don't have to right? Teenagers do that all the time. Maybe even little kids. They they just do that all the time. But for some reason, I love this line because here they are literally staring death in the eyes and they're saying, you know what? We don't have to talk to you. We don't have to respond to you. They, They didn't even defend themselves at all. They just looked at the king and said, we don't have to talk to you because this issue is not between you and us. This issue is between me and my God. That is why. And this is why faith, real faith, obeys God instead of following man. As a pastor, just like many jobs in the world, comes with a lot of decisions that need to be made, and some decisions are not fun to make. And at the end of the day, I think what happens is that we have to make decisions on faith. Even with you in our lives, when you have to make life decisions, a lot of times we don't have all the facts, and so we have to make decisions on faith. But how many of you guys know if you were to take that question, you're like, hey, I have this big life decision. If I go ask my uncle twice removed or whatever, he would have an opinion, right? Everyone here has got an opinion. But a lot of times I think God's saying, no, just run to me and ask me your question. Come talk to me. Man, there's just, it seems like there's a lot of decisions that even myself I hate making. And more times than not, it requires me to trust God and make a decision on faith. Even if it's the most unpopular decision, but when it comes to a faith that obeys God and not man, it's faith that makes you think but not think about it. When you act on faith, you don't even have to give it a second thought. These three boys, they're acting on faith. They're acting on faith. They didn't even have to think about what they would do. They didn't have to, to pray about it or even fast about it or weigh the pros and cons of what could happen. They didn't even have to take the issue to Facebook and ask a consensus of what they should do. They had one plan and one plan only, obedience. I'm gonna obey my God. I'm gonna stand in faith really they predetermined and we know that because of their previously behavior in scripture they predetermined that they were going to obey what god has told them to do and they're going to stand firm and then i mean put yourself in their shoes put yourself in their shoes it would be so easy to rationalize their decision wouldn't it be it'd be so easy to make excuses i mean that, that they could have faked it said oh we could bow but not really mean it that makes sense or they could have done this, and really how many times have we done this, is, well, we could bow this once, but then tomorrow morning we'll ask for forgiveness. God will understand. Or they could have done this. this let's just look at the facts, guys. Let's just, let's just see what it is. If we don't bow, we die. And if we die, then who's going to share about our true God with these people later in life? That one makes sense. But they didn't. Why? Because faith obeys God instead of man. Faith obeys God instead of man. And when, you're, when you have faith like this, let me tell you, Satan will notice and he'll give you ample opportunities to compromise your faith. Ample opportunities. The biggest times where, where we had to rely on faith in my own life is when it comes to managing our money according to biblical principles. It is so taboo. It is so weird. And my wife and I, we, we believe in this concept of tithing where you bring 10% of your income and you give it to the church. We pull this from Malachi 3.10 if you guys are interested. But there are so many times where the money is lean and the bills are piling up. Anyone been there, right? It seems like there's more money in bills than there are in the bank account, right? It happens all the time. And it's so easy to think, well, obviously, God wants us to have heat in our house. So instead of giving to the church this month, we're going to pay our bills. God will understand, right? But instead, we look at that and say, you know what? What an opportunity for God to come through. What a great way for God to reveal himself. And what we ultimately do, and we've done this, we've been faithful in this, is that we always give our tithe to God. And we are faithful, and we believe that he is ultimately our provider. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. When we do that, we never had less. We always had just enough or more than. You know why? Why? Because our God is able to provide abundantly more for his people. And so that's just, that's just the one thing that I just thought about. I was like, man, it's so weird to do this. But when you have faith, faith relies on God, not man. Because let me tell you, if I would have took that issue to other people, maybe even some other pastors, they would have said, God would have understand. Pay your bills. Do that. But we read scripture and God has proven faithful in our lives. And say, saying, do you know what? God is our provider. And a lot of times people will just look at us and think, like, well, man, that's just almost like just mere stupidity. It makes no sense. But let me tell you this, church. When the time comes to really stand in faith, it won't make sense. When the time comes for you to stand in faith, you will not comprehend it. It makes no worldly sense. So just stand in faith. And you just have to trust that God knows what He is doing and just obey. Well, that kind of sounds like a little bit of blind faith. Yes. But I think sometimes God calls us to those points. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Number two, faith believes in spite of what it sees. Faith believes in spite of what it sees. So we have these three boys looking the king in the eye and say they don't have to explain while they're standing. And the story continues. And it says this, at verse 17, it says this. Remember, they just said that, you know, we don't have to talk to you. It's all good. But verse 17 says, if this be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He, what's that next word? Will. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, this is why I have you repeat this kind of small little word, because there's a massive difference between God wants to do something and the difference between God will do something. There, let me say that one more time. There's a massive difference between God wants to do something and God will do something. One says, uh, it's passive. The other one is, you know what, it's going to take some action. It means it, it, faith looks like the trials and the fires of his life and says, you know what, no matter what I see, my faith says God is willing and able to deliver me. It's even more than that. It's not only saying that, but it's when we tell our faith, you know what, faith, you're going to have to rise in this situation. You're going to have to kind of kind of make yourself available that you're going to have to build your faith up in this, because guess what? My God will deliver me. When you see a a, a bad medical report, you know, you first pray, but then your faith rises and says, my God is willing and able to heal. When you see a broken relationship, you go out and seek counsel, but afterwards, your faith rises and says, my God is willing and able to restore. When you see a low bank account, number one, I mean, you sell the boat and the truck that eats up a thousand month dollar payment, that's aside from that, but then you you get something more affordable, but then you have to tell your faith to, to rise and say, no, my God is willing and able to provide for my family. Church, God is willing and able on your behalf. That is the God that we serve. God is willing and able. Because even in the more horrible, rotten, no good days, our God is willing and able to exceedingly and abundantly bring more into your life that is how our God works I mean talk I talk about our daughter all the time but my wife and I we stand in faith constantly with our daughter she has down syndrome and many of you know kind of the whole story so I'm gonna fast forward a little there but with our daughter I mean there are milestones in her growth and we pray for each of those milestones and we stand in faith and and we do those things and we have to tell ourselves you know what our God is in control He will exceedingly and abundantly more bring those success in her life. And we have to say that over and over and over and over again. And guess what? There's milestones that she meets and then there's milestones that she has yet to reach. But we have to stand in faith. We have to stand in faith. No matter what the doctors say or what we even see with our own eyes, we stand in faith and our faith believes that our God is willing and able to do abundantly more in our little girl's life. And because of this, from the time of the diagnosis to now, I mean, we just watched Aspen just conquer life and like her diagnosis wasn't even affecting her. But you have to stand in faith. You have to. Your faith has to still believe in spite what's in front of your eyes. Stand in faith. Well, that's all good, Vaughn, but what if God doesn't do what I'm asking for? Has anyone been there before? I've been there. And this leads me to my third point. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is all God's. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is all God's. So let's go back to the story. We have these three teenage boys standing in front of the king. They made a very important statement, and I think that we should all see. But they just got done saying, you know what? We have faith that our God will come through. We have faith that even though you can do the worst to us, and our God will rescue us out of your hands. But they say something very important, in Daniel three eighteen. But he says this: but if not, meaning if that doesn't happen, if God doesn't come through, if He chooses not to rescue us, let it be known to you, O King, we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, those are some bold words. No, I believe my God's going to come through. But if not, my God is still good. I'm going to believe that my God is my rescuer and he's my provider. But if that does not happen, my faith does not change. What is our faith like? Because I think a lot of times our faith is contingent on a few things. God, if you come through this one time, oh man, my faith will rise and God, you are good. But when it doesn't happen, Lord, why would you do this? God, are you awake up there? Can you hear my prayers? Lord, I mean, I've been praying for that person for a long time and they still died. God, I gave and I was faithful, but my bank account is still low. Lord, I've been praying for my restored relationship, but guess what? The papers are still on the table. Let me ask you a question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because at the end of the day, I think we have to have faith like these young boys that no matter what happens, faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is on God. The outcome is on God. You know what, King, we don't have to explain to you why we didn't bow. We we if you decide to throw us in the fire, our faith says that God will save us. But even if our God won't save us, we still won't bow down to your statue. I mean, let's be honest. If we knew the outcome, the outcome that God wasn't going to save us, would we still stand? Ask you that. If you knew the outcome, would you still pray? If you knew the outcome, would you still keep your feet? Planted firm in Jesus. Because I believe that's where God is calling us. And please hear me, I am speaking from experience. No matter what the world throws at you, Stand firm. Keep your feet planted. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they knew this concept of faithful obedience and that that faith obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. And this has been the hardest concept for me to, unle- uh, to learn and understand, mainly because there are outcomes that do not match up with how I think it should have happened. That happens all the time. But these boys, they didn't care. They just knew that they had to do what was right in God's eyes and ultimately trust Him with the results. Church, trust God with the results. Trust Him with the results. He knows what He is doing. And so do you know what happened with these boys? A the fiery chariot did not come down and whisk them out. An angel did not appear and kind of take them away on a, Shiny horse. What happened after there is they said that and they just ticked the king off. And the king says, all right, enough with you. Not only that, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Look at what it says, 3, 24 through 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. Let me explain something a little bit before this. Let me see real quick. The king was so mad that he stoked the fire seven times hotter. The scripture even says that the soldiers that took the little boys to the fiery furnace, they died because the heat was so hot. They didn't go in the furnace, they just stood beside it and they still died. But at this point, the three boys, they're in the furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar is waiting for them just to go up in flames. But we just read here, he's astonished and rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They're all tied up. Do we not cast them in the fire? They answered and said to the king, which I think a lot of us would probably wisely answer because you're not going to say, well, king, you're wrong. They said, true, O king, <laughs> you're right. And he answered and said, but I see four men now, and they're all unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And you know what? They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Some even translation says the Son of God. Wait, didn't we throw three young teenagers in there? Didn't we tie them up? Didn't we like, try to get rid of them? Because right now I don't see them. I see just four guys walking around. The fourth looks like God himself. What in the world is going on? Listen to me, church, and write this down and put this wherever you need encouragement. God reveals his power in many places. Sure, he'll show himself you on the mountaintops of life where everything's going good and there's no worries, but you will know God and his presence best in the fires. You will know God and his presence best in the fires. God reveals his power in many places, but you'll know his presence best in the fire. And it's because of the fire that causes us to be desperate for salvation because we need help, right? When everything's going good, we don't pray those de- desperate prayers. But when things get bad and sour and takes turn for the worse, that's when we hit our knees and saying, Lord, I need you more than ever. And guess what? Because God is God. He always shows up. Always shows up. Let's read on verse 27 and 28. If I can have the band come up. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not even singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Let me tell you, my wife complains when I'm at a bonfire and I'm standing 10 feet away and I smell like bonfire smoke. These guys were in the fire and nothing happened. Nothing happened did even smell like fire. No hair was singed. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Listen, church. The very thing, and I believe this to the the very core of who I am, the very thing that is supposed to harm you, that is supposed to kill you, that is supposed to burn you, that very thing will set you you free let me explain these boys were tied up going in the furnace right what happened to the ropes the fire burned them let me tell you when you have faith in God and you go through that tribulation and the enemy thinks he's got you now he's got you you're in the furnace the door is closed I got you God will show up and the very thing that the enemy tried to use to kill you God will use it to set you free and church we have to come to a point where we have to believe in that because I think a lot of times we do the opposite we're in the fire and say Lord I don't want to go through the fire it's natural for us right Lord, I don't want those trials in my life. Lord, I, I don't want that. God, take that away from me. Lord, would you, would you just let, let me live this life without experiencing those bad things? But what if you're supposed to go through the fire so that when you come out on the other side, number one, you're closer to God, but number two, your faith is bigger than ever. I mean, can you imagine how stoked these boys were coming out of the fire like, did that just really happen? Right? Did you see that fourth guy in there? Come on, church. Where's your faith at this morning? You know what? I've been through that tough time, but let me tell you how my God got me through it. That's what happens. You know what? I've been there. Let me tell you how my God got me through that fire. He was right beside me the entire time. And what I thought would derail me in life actually gave me clear vision for God. You know what? I had marriage struggles too. And it felt like hell going through it. But let me tell you how God showed up and brought me restoration in my life. You know, when you lose someone, I've been there. It's one of the toughest seasons of life. But let me, how you, let me tell you how my God brought Wholeness and not my life. And the only reason anyone can talk like that is because their faith has been through the fires. It's been purified, strengthened, and tested. And now they can stand up through the fires, and they know firsthand how God will come through. They know that a faith can be tested there's a faith that can be trusted. They know that real faith obeys God and not other people or popular consensus. They know that faith believes in God no matter the outcome or what they see in front of them. They know that faithful obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome is on God. So let me ask you the same question that I asked earlier. When life gets tough and you see the fires of life are just surrounding you, what does your faith do? what does your faith do? Ask yourself that question. What does your faith do when you're backed up against the wall It seems like the enemy is going to win? If you can bow your heads and close your eyes.